We are in Romans chapter 15. And I want to to say we've been going through this all the way through Romans chapter 14 and the first 13 verses in Romans chapter 15 have to do with with uh, uh, how do we deal with amoral things, things that are neither moral nor immoral, but amoral. And specifically what he gets to that people were struggling with in that generation were it was it was issues of um of food issues of uh eating meat and also uh issues of of drinking wine and we saw that also in in the end of chapter 14 verse 21 he mentioned eating meat or drinking wine and he continues that in chapter 15. So I'm going to read a few verses in chapter 15, and then we're going to discuss it a little bit. So chapter 15 of Romans, reading from verse 1. Now we who are strong are to bear the weakness of those who are without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of Scripture we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ has also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the Father. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Next week, I'm going to, we're just going to go and we're going to dissect verse by verse in this because there are just gems, just absolute gems that, that you can, you can read and just take hold of. But I want to speak a little bit more generally today. And, and, uh, what he, what he just revealed to us, he says, look, I just want you to know, I've brought together both Jews and Gentiles to worship together. Both Jews and Gentiles are able to worship together. And that's what he says. He says uh, um, in, in verse 6, So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, <clears throat> just as Christ has also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcised. So he's speaking to the Jew. He's become, Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. So he, he, Jesus reached out predominantly his ministry was to Jews. And you can see that in many places in the scriptures. We'll look at that next week. But, but then he says, and for the Gentiles, he says, if I have brought together both Jews and Gentiles, which were really distinct peoples, <clears throat> they really didn't worship together at all. They might see each other in a marketplace, but they didn't have any dealings with each other in, in any great degree. He says, if we brought, if I've brought them together in the church, God is saying, and as Paul is teaching, if they've been brought together, 
We can't let little things divide us as a people. And the issues that they were dealing with at the time was issues of eating meat that had particularly been sacrificed to idols and the drinking of wine. And the drinking of wine is an issue that, 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 that different believers have different opinions on. But if you look back in chapter 14, verse 1, now accept the one who is who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. There are different opinions. There are different uh, things that we opinions that we have on amoral issues. And he says that I, I don't want you to to have to struggle because of that. And I want to look back a little bit more about what was going on at the time. So remember, he's writing to the people in Rome. This is the center of of the Roman Empire. And it says all nasty things ended up in Rome. So there was so much idol worship, so much, that it was hard to even be able to buy meat in the marketplace that had not been sacrificed to idols. So let's look in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. However, not all men have the knowledge but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat foods as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their consciences, being weak, is defiled. But food will not condemn us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For though your knowledge, for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. So he's talking about this, and and this was a huge issue for them. We're about to hit on some issues that that affect us today. So we look at this, what's the problem? What's going on? What's what's these people's problem? We're going to get on issues that that deal with us. But for right now, just look at at what he's saying. in in, uh, So in in chapter 8, if you look in verse 7, chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, verse 7, However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to idols. So in other words, there were people who before they were believers, they, would, they wouldn't eat anything that had not first been sacrificed to an idol. This was a big deal for them. And now they become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's this commandment, which is the, the first of the Ten Commandments, which is also transitioned to the New Testament as well, that thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall not have idols. You shall not bow before them. You shall not worship them. And so here, they have been sacrificing food, meat to idols and only eating that sort of meat all the time. 
And now they've come out of that, they've come into Jesus. And so if food is sacrificed to idols, if meat is sacrificed to idols, they don't want to touch it. Therefore, they're not even eating any meat because you couldn't find meat in much of the Roman world. You couldn't find meat that wasn't sacrificed to an idol. I mean, this is just the way it was. And and uh, it says that they were accustomed to this, and now they had come into Christ, so they couldn't go back to that. They just really were, was trying to them. And we have to remember, therefore, there are things that people have gone through in their lives, things that people have gone through, that make them... Uh, particularly sensitive to things. And so that's why, and I told you this story, that, that uh, um, when when I met Shireen, we were both 20 years old, and and uh, um, and I drank very little. But, but, you know, somebody, her brother handed me a beer, and I drank it, and it offended her because she came from a country where they don't drink beer. Her brother had been here since the mid-60s. And I saw it bothered her, and so I just stopped drinking, and I've never had anything to drink since because I didn't want to do anything to upset my wife, this woman with whom I had to live. And I'm glad for it. Many good things have come because of that. But you, you see that, that people, she was accustomed to a certain way. If you deal with uh, Jews that, that have come out of Judaism to come to know the Lord, they remain Jews ethnically, but they're worshiping Jesus, they might not want to partake of pork because that was something they never did before. Somebody who comes out of Hinduism, they don't want to touch beef. And so you can understand it. We get accustomed to certain things. These people were accustomed to the idol, and they didn't want to go back to that, so they, they didn't want to do it. And now, interesting, he says in verse 10, for, of, of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, For if someone sees you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat? things sacrificed to idols. So in other words, he's saying there's there's those of us who are strong that are not affected. We're not affected by somebody, you know, if it's been sacrificed to an idol, it doesn't bother me. I mean, there's, he's saying right here, he says, you know, there's really no such thing as an idol. I mean, there's no God behind it. There's, and and uh, uh, But he says, so you may go into an idol, uh, an idol's temple to dine. Isn't that interesting? Just the restaurants were idols' temples in those days. And so you who are strong, you can go into an idol's temple. There's nothing technically wrong about going into an idol's temple. So, for example, you could go into a bar and have a meal. You could. And, and uh, you know, some believers would go, oh, you went into a bar. Oh. And others are like, what's the big deal? I went into a bar. I didn't drink. And even if I did, it's okay. So when, when I went to the UK, they picked me up from the airport. I hadn't eaten in, in, in many hours. And they said, you want to grab a bite to eat? I said, sure. And they took me to a pub to eat. Now, in the UK, a pub is a little bit different than a bar. A pub is a, is a much more friendly place in many ways. And uh, uh, although you can find many friendly bars. But anyway, I went into a pub to eat. And it, when I was in the UK, I ate like in a pub every meal. Everybody took me to the pub. When I was at, 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 uh, at the university speaking, they, we would go for lunch to the local pub to, 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 uh, to eat. And so you might say, well, what's a pub? A pub is a bar. But, you know, they serve food there as well. And, and so, so um, you know, it didn't bother me. If somebody had seen me there, it, was, it, it might have offended them. But nobody in the UK was offended by my going to the pub. They would have been offended by my not going. 
But uh, if somebody in, 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 in the southern part of the United States had seen me, they, they, they might have been offended. But I wasn't in the southern part of the United States. So, so he's saying, you, you go into idols' temples, that, if that's offensive to your brother, then you might want to not sit in that idols' temple and eat. These are issues of the day. Now I want to bring it back because we look at this and we go, what's those people's problem? Come on, get over it, guys. All right, so, so I, let, let's, let's look at some issues of the day because I don't know any other time in my lifetime that has become so sensitive about issues. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I spoke in this class, in this very room. I was speaking on some Bible portion. I don't even remember what I was teaching. And, and uh, you know, as I characteristically do, by, you know, I convert the message and I put it up on, the, on my website, jmtour.com, by, by that Monday night. And it's also reflected onto iTunes and Spotify and many other things. Well, a group of, of uh, um, a group of black students came up to me and they said they were very offended by what I had said. And I said, I, I don't I don't know what I said. Could you remind me? And they said, you know, you really ought to go back and listen to it. So I went back and listened to it. I listened to the whole thing. And I, I really didn't know what I said. After I listened to the message, I didn't know what I said. And they wanted to meet with me. A couple of them wanted to meet with me. But I'll, I'll tell you, the week following that event, the black students were gone. All of them. Gone. And my heart broke. My heart just broke. Because, because we never suffered from that before. And I administered, we've been doing this, I've been teaching in this class now, this for, for 23 years. And Shereen and I have had meals in our home every week. And uh, um, and so I said, something bothered them. So I sent the message to a friend of mine, Decatur, who many of you know, who's a black man. He's a few years older than me, so he's, and he grew up in the Deep South. So if anybody's going to know what I said, it's going to be Decatur. So I sent Decatur the message. I said, this has really upset the black students brother, help me. What did I do? He listened to it. He says, I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. And I said, well, now they've told... I asked them what I say, and they told me at what minute. And I heard the sentence, and I didn't realize even how it could be taken as an offense. And I said, Decatur, go to such and such minute, listen to that. And he listened again. He says, he says brother, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And just to, so, so a few of them met with me. Uh, um, three people came to me, one white and two black. And they came to me and they talked about how much it bothered them. And I said, you know, I will go and I'll pull the message down. I'll excise that sentence. And, you know, many times I'll I say something dumb or something and I'll just pull it out. I'll excise it. You can take an audio and you can excise a few sentences. Nobody ever notices. You, you don't notice it. And, and so I just pull out and, and then I put it up there without that sentence. But I said, I really don't notice it. And, and, uh, um, they wanted me to read a book on sensitivity and, and, uh, written by, by somebody. And I, and I said, okay, I'll read the book. I'll read the book. And as I'm reading this book, it's talking about how you should have, how whites need to have black acquaintances and black friends. And I'm scratching my, my head. I'm looking. 
So I, I told these students about my past. My mother in New York City marched with Martin Luther King. Jews were 100% behind the civil rights movement because Jews had always looked at, at the blacks as being underdogs. And we felt that we were under, uh, underdogs. So my mother used to support the civil rights movement to the point of marching with them. When I went to, to first grade, when I went to kindergarten, we had segregated schools. When I went to first grade was the first year that segregation ended in New York State. And my school was all Jewish. When I went to first grade, the black students were bused in from the projects into our school. And, and uh, uh, as after school, we're, we're standing around the flagpole, and the parents come to pick us up, and I'm holding some kids' hands. And my mother said to me, you were holding a black boy's hand. I didn't even know whose hand I was holding. There was nothing there. I, I, I never realized. The, and she said, I need to meet his mother. And so she went over, and she saw where the mother was and where the boy was, and and she immediately invited them to our home. Invited them to our home. And, and, uh, uh, and I befriended him. His name was Darren Earl. And there was another, uh, uh, another boy in my class named, named Timothy Harris. Befriended him too. And uh, uh, Darren Earl came from, from a very educated black family, but still lived in the projects. Timothy, uh, uh, Timmy Harris didn't come from an educated family, and it was a much rougher family. But we were friended them both. I was always with them. My mother, to make a statement, my mother's five feet tall, to make a statement, she, when she would take us to the public swimming pool, where there were three kids in our family, she would bring these two other black kids with us. And here's this five foot tall woman walking into the public swimming pool in New York State with five kids in, to- in tow, two of them black. And I always used to wonder, why is everybody always staring at us? Everybody stares at us whenever we come to the swimming pool. And uh, um, she was making a statement. This is what I grew up with. These kids were always in my home. My mother used to drive me to the projects to go to their homes. That's a risky thing. And she would release me to go. I remember Timmy Harris's home was one room, one room. I could see the bathtub. I could see the toilet. I could see the kitchen. I could see the beds. One room. And and uh, I remember when they first walked in my house, Darren O would look around and says, how many families live here? And I said, just one. It was just a regular middle class three bedroom home. I mean, that's all it was. But to him, it was a, it was a mansion. This is what I grew up with. I have never even noticed color of people coming into my home. Decatur and his wife are in my home all the time. It's not like, and in this book I'm reading, it's like, you, you should, you should have a black person into your home. I'm like, I don't even think about it. And I said to them, I said, you know, you guys have been eating my, in my home for four years. Have I ever distinguished between black and white in my home? Have I ever charged you for a meal in my home? Have I ever even put out a plate and asked for donations toward a meal in my home? I said, do you know any pastor's wife that has given more for you than my wife has done? Because if you do, I would love to meet that person. My wife would just go extra out of her way. Because I said one sentence that bothered them, they were gone. They were gone. That hurt me so much. 
even if I had said something that was terribly wrong, why would they leave over one sentence? Why would they leave? I see how much my wife had poured into their lives. I'll tell you, when, there's, when there were black students, because my wife is brown, she came as an immigrant. She has an extra eye toward the international students and toward the black students. She takes them shopping. She picks up these girls. She takes them shopping. All of, she Look, if, if you're white, you don't get as much attention from my wife. If you're not wife, you get, if you're not white, you get more attention from my wife because she will always spend a little bit of extra effort to know your name, to know who you are, and do something for you. That's just the way she is. It broke her up too. Little things divided the body of Christ. I'm talking about this generation. It can be so affected by little things. This is what he's talking about in Romans 15. I brought together Jews and Gentiles. Don't let these little things divide you. I'll give you another example. There were some, there were some college students that, that coming to the Bible study for, for some time. And then this girl and this guy, they started getting to know each other. And you know, as many college students do, they love, I, you know, so they'd come over to lunch in our home and then they'd sit on the couch and they'd start making out. And, you know, there's a, it, it, you know, we got kids around, we got people around, and there's something we're like, sometimes college students like to show that, you, you know, I, I don't know what they want to show, but, so they're sitting on the couch, hugging and making out. And, and, uh, uh, and Shereen says to them, come on guys, we've, we've got kids here. Those two never came back. I mean, my pastor, when I was a young guy, said things to me much worse than that. I never think of leaving the church. And they never came back because she's just saying, guys, settle down now. we got kids around here. There's, it, it, it's not an appropriate place. One little word, they were gone. This is what we're talking about. People will leave over little things and it, it brings this tremendous division. Just because they hear one little word that bothers them. People say, the pastor said such and such and it upset me. I'm like, he just said one thing that upset you? He says stuff that upsets me all the time. There's, I, I don't agree with, with, with things that they say all the time. I don't even agree with my own teachings. I leave here, I tell you, I leave here and I think sometimes, do I really believe that? But you know, you know, you live and learn, you go on. I'm not going to let that tear me down. But to leave over that, what are you going to do in your family? What are you going to do in your family if your spouse says something you don't like? Is it the end? Is that the end then? You're going to walk out on them? What, are you going to find another spouse? What happens when they say something you don't like? You're going to find another, then another spouse? He's saying, you've you got to stop thinking about these divisions all the time. These sorts of things. He said, you know, one person dines in an idle temple. Imagine what that does to a person who's just trying to refrain from meat because they can't find meat, and this other Christian is going and dining in the idol's temple. He says, you've got to be sensitive to one another, but don't let it divide you. This is what he's telling us in Romans chapter 15. Don't let this thing, this kind of stuff divide you. It's, it's just, just uh, uh, be devastating to the body of Christ if you get divided every time that you hear something that bothers you. In our generation, I'm telling you, we're ten times more sensitive than those people were. When you read the things that Paul wrote, I mean, it could be really offensive. So, for example, Paul wrote, It is said that 
all Christians are lazy gluttons and liars. All people from Crete, it is said that all people from Crete are lazy gluttons and liars. And then you know what Paul says? And this testimony is true. (laughs) I mean, come on. I mean, doesn't he know you don't say that about people? This book, what the way Paul wrote, what Jesus said, the words that Jesus said, Jesus turns to the religious leaders and he says, you are whitewashed tombs. He says that you put upon people things and you won't even lift it with your own finger. The lawyers come to him in Luke chapter 11. They say, you know, Jesus has just been railing on the Pharisees. And the lawyers, the, the scholarly ones in the law, they came in and they said, you know, when you say that to the Pharisees, it offends us too. So did Jesus go, oh, I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to offend you. You know, that's the worst thing that you could do is offend somebody. No, Jesus didn't say that. You know what he said? He said, you, you lawyers. He said, you are guilty of the death of all the prophets. All the prophets. From, 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 uh, um, from Abel to Zechariah. That's A to Z. Because if you look at, at, at the our Old Testament, is the same Old Testament that the Jews read. Their Bible is our Old Testament. But the order of the books are different. So their last book is Second Chronicles. And the last one to die, the last prophet to die, is Zechariah. So when Jesus says, from Abel to Zechariah, he's saying from the first prophet to the last prophet that died, boom, you're responsible. We're responsible. We didn't even live when they lived. He said, you're responsible. Jesus let them have it. Absolutely between the eyes. The Pharisees come to see John the Baptist's baptism. And he says to them, you know, you'd think he'd welcome them in. Thanks for visiting. Yes, we're just having a baptism today. I hope you enjoy it. You know, I hope the Lord really touches your heart. He really touches your heart today. And you get saved. And, and we'd love to baptize you too. Let me introduce you to my family. Sit down. No, he says, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruits in keeping with, with the law. I mean, this is just, just slammed them. And any little word and people flee. You're going to be going from church to church if any little world word will upset you enough to leave. This is what he's talking about. He says, I've brought together Jews and Gentiles. I've brought them together. He says, don't let these little things divide you. If we have to learn from one another, that's fine. I read the whole book that was given to me. And and I didn't agree with everything because it talked about certain situations that occurred during my lifetime. And so I, I knew both sides, the way both sides felt. And, and, uh, um, and so my whole life I had had, I've had black friends and I never saw them as being black. I just saw them as being my friends. And, and, uh, um, to this day, I mean, Decatur and his wife Cheryl will be in my home and it's not like, yeah, we have to have some black people over. 
this month. <laughs> we don't think like that. And I explained this to them, but they were gone. They were gone. And I only had the opportunity to speak to only one of them that came back to talk to me about it, to talk to me about their leaving. And, uh, uh, so that we could, we could, you know, pray for him and wish him well in his, in, in the new places that we should go. But they were gone. And so it hurt us so badly because we invest into people's lives. And what I say is this, exactly what the Bible says, whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. It, when you sow into a person's life, you will one day feel the pain of that person just disregarding everything you've sowed into their lives and turn around and just walk away. And you feel like, how can you just do, wouldn't you at least want to come and talk to me about this? You'll experience it. And the more you do this to others, the more it will happen to you. If you go into ministry, if you want to be the Lord's minister, you will always have people that you've poured your life into that will turn their back and just walk away. No explanation, they just walk away from you. And I'm comforted by the words of Charles Spurgeon, who being a pastor for many years, he says, they were not your all, they were not everything to you, they were not everything to your ministry when they were here. You've not lost all when they've left. And he says, you just continue and you go on. All I'm saying is from the other side, people speak into your lives. There was a church, there was a body of Christ. Paul spends one and a half chapters in this book to the Romans. One and a half chapters. This is a lot. Then he talks about similar topics in 1 Corinthians, similar topics in 2 Corinthians. He talks about this. Uh, no, similar topics in, in, in 1 Corinthians. He, he talks about this twice. But lots of things about don't let these small things divide you. You may have differences of opinions. He said you have differences of, of opinions. Don't let it divide you. We have one Lord. There is one Christ. And we, we worship Him. We follow Him. He's saying, let this be what binds us together. And remember, whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. If you are quick to pass judgment on somebody because they've said something that has offended you, if you're quick to desert them because they've said that, people will desert you the same way. You will say something to your son-in-law or to your daughter-in-law, and they will turn and walk out on you and never come back if you've done that to other people. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And what we see in the Bible is... Sowing and reaping has a principle. It's never one-to-one. Never one-to-one. You plant one kernel of corn, you get 10,000 kernels of corn back. It is always amplified. When you do right, when you do good, it it is pressed down, overflowing in your lap, just overflowing. That is the principle in sowing of sowing and reaping. The same principle holds of sowing and reaping. When you plant something, when you plant something that I left because somebody said something that offended me, that will be magnified in your life many times over. How do you break that? You repent. You break that through repentance, 
through confession to God and repentance. Don't let these little things divide you. I am sure that I will say things that upset you. I say things that upset my wife all the time. All the time. She doesn't even have to speak a word. And I know it's upset her. I can, she doesn't even have to roll her eyes. Rolling her eyes is the extreme. She just, just a look. I mean, just, it's like a nanometer size difference in the way her eyes move. I know I've upset her. If her hands go on her her hips, it's over. It's over. The world is over. For like a month, I'm going to have to be nice to make up for that. This happens all the time. But we've been married for 40 years. She hasn't left me. We saw this thing through, and forever we will be thankful that we saw it through, that we didn't let these things divide us. This is what he's talking about. Don't let these differences of opinion, differences of opinion on on, uh, on politics. As a nation, we are split right down the middle, right down the middle on politics. Don't even bring it up. Don't even talk about these things because people are so... Di- it's not worth it. It's not worth it. If other people want to bring it up... Just don't even respond. You can just listen to them and just you know, nod their head. I sit with some guys. I sit with guys who have left this church because this church wasn't pushing enough what they wanted. Politically. And he spoke to the pastor. I said, the pastor has no business speaking about politics. And he left the church over this thing. And you know what he did? He started a church in his own home. And that didn't last long. And now he doesn't go to church anymore. These things will visit us. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Your word corrects us. Your word teaches us and instructs us. Lord, I pray for these young people that you would get a hold of their hearts. You would get a hold of their hearts and let them not be divided over difference of opinions. Let them not be divided, I pray, Father. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would so work on their hearts that they would not bring upon themselves a principle of sowing and reaping that's going to reap for them just so much pain and hurt. Father, I pray that that you'd, you'd help them to walk in an attitude of repentance. Lord, I pray that you would so work in their lives. And Lord, let not these things divide us, I pray. For the glory of Jesus, let not these things divide us. Let Jesus Christ be glorified. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers. Oh, Father, save a soul this day. Please, Lord, don't let me go through this day without seeing a soul saved. Lord, I pray that you save a soul this day for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.